Hi friends, welcome back to another episode of The Hillary Show. I'm so honored to invite you to listen to a great conversation that I had with Steph Tuss. And if you don't know Steph, you're in for a real treat to get to meet her. Even if you do know her, you know her as the CEO of a multi-million dollar global consulting company called Life Is Now Inc. And she's a frequent stand-in on the co-host of Business Daily News' top-ranked podcast, The Successful Mind. It's outstanding and I listen to it every single week. Now, Steph began her career as an educator and through circumstantial necessity, she went back to school to pursue a master's degree in holistic nutrition to help her firstborn child who was facing some health difficulties. Talk about being a vested mom. Steph then went on to open a practice to help families who faced similar challenges. And after hiring Life Is Now for her own business coaching, she sold her business at the age of 33 and joined Life Is Now as the director of sales in 2009 before taking on the CEO role less than a decade later in 2016. In her six years at the helm of this company, Steph has become the primary driver behind all of Life Is Now's marketing, business development, and brilliant team culture. And on a personal note, I have absolutely loved working with Steph over the years. Um, I don't know exactly, I guess it's been since 2019, I've been listening to the podcast and then from 2020 onward, working with Steph and David at Life Is Now Inc. Off and on, and even BT before I started this podcast, um, Steph's husband, Brandon, got on a call with me and helped me figure out how to set up a podcast because theirs is so successful. I am thrilled that you get to listen to Steph talk about some really hard hitting leadership issues that, you know, sometimes I'm struggling with. And I know if, if anything, you might be as well. These are leadership issues that are real to our day-to-day life, or if you're running a company, it applies there. I can't wait to hear what you think about this podcast. Enjoy. Steph, it's so wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much for joining the Hillary Show podcast. How are you today? So well, and so happy to be here with you. Yes. we uh, So we have a background together because I've been one of your clients for many years and it's been wonderful to grow under your leadership. And that's what I want to talk about today is leadership and how you recover as a leader when you screw up. And so what does that look like in a world where you have total personal responsibility, but you're still kind and caring to yourself? And what are the steps for when you mess up as a leader? So I make it a habit to mess up as a leader. Um, I think that leaders must mess up. Um, So I I have a very different outlook on mistakes than most people. Um, You know, I'm of the belief that nothing amazing gets created without making multiple mistakes and then learning from those mistakes. So we've built our team and our company on the idea that mistakes are okay. And that means mistakes are okay for me too. But the caveat to that is that we all own our mistakes um, and we sunshine them. So a big, actually part of our culture is we, we take time to sunshine our mistakes. Like, you know, my team will hear me say all the time, you know, wow, I really misjudged that. Or wow, I really screwed that marketing campaign up. Or wow, I really dropped the ball there. And here's what I learned from it. And here's what I'm going to go. Here's what's going to change going forward to make sure this doesn't happen again. So I think sometimes people think of leadership as the person who has all the answers. And the person who never gets to make a mistake. But the truth is, is that real leadership doesn't have hardly any of the answers and makes a lot of mistakes. So just being able to say that's actually required, like it's required for you to be able to make mistakes and to be a good leader. Innovation doesn't happen without mistakes. Learning doesn't happen without mistakes. 
And if you can't accept the mistakes from yourself, what happens is it trickles down into your organization and your employees hide their mistakes. So there's a missed opportunity for anyone to learn how to do something better or to improve a system or to create a new program or change a new paradigm uh, based on what's learned from mistakes. When you've got people hiding mistakes, that's when bad things happen in business. And we see that, you know, we see that across the board in, in any number of, of businesses, whether it's at a hospital setting, you know, where if someone hides a mistake in a hospital, it could mean someone's life, or it could mean in a small business setting, where if someone hides a mistake, it could mean loss of a business or a ruined reputation, or just simply an opportunity that's lost to learn something that could move the company forward. How do you balance being okay with making mistakes and holding yourself to a standard of excellence? I don't see mistakes as the opposite of excellence, right? So I feel like my standard of excellence is if I'm acting in the best interest of the company, right? And if I'm afraid of making mistakes, that's going to inhibit my ability to act in the best interest of the company because I will err on the side of safety rather than innovation, rather than risk-taking, rather than trying something new that could propel the company forward. You know, as part of a standard of excellence is to allow yourself to make those mistakes and learn from it. Now, there are various levels of mistakes, right? So let's say you're an administrative assistant and you have a standard of excellence and the company has a value of, you know, mistakes are fine. When mistakes aren't fine, it's when they happen continually and the same mistake happens continually, right? So again, the standard of excellence is, yep, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to allow myself to make mistakes, but they're only going to happen once or twice because I'm going to learn from it and change it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. What if it's the mistake of, I think about the four agreements and one of those is to always do your best. What happens when the mistake is you have not done your best? I think that you have to weigh it with where you are, what's going on in your life, right? Because we're all human. So if you've got something super impactful going on at home, you've got a sick child that you're worried about, your best is going to look different that day than it would in a day where everything's going great at home. So it's also in taking into consideration what's going on. If you know you're just mailing it in, then you know you're not doing your best and you have to hold yourself to a higher standard. But I also think that that that, that for agreement can be used to self-abuse yourself for those of us that are super critical. Um, it, you see it as all or nothing. Either I'm doing my best or I'm not. You don't see it as, well, you know, I've got some hormone things going on and I'm getting two hours of sleep at night. And I didn't do my best today, but I did the very best that I could based on the situation that I find myself, right? So it's also allowing yourself some grace in those situations and taking into consideration everything that's going on in your life rather than just, I'm either doing my best or I'm not because we're all human and your best is always measured against something relative. Yeah. I needed to hear that today because I'm asking these questions for a friend. (laughs) Just asking for a friend. Um, When you work with teams, what does this look like to work with you? Because I worked with you individually, but I know one of your superpowers is also to work with teams. Yes. I love working with, I love working with leaders of teams. Um, So I've never actually gone in and worked with someone else's team other than my own, but it's a huge passion of mine. Um, And we start with we start at the top, right? So I really don't think that you can have a high-performing team without a clear vision. So when we start working with companies on, on leadership and on team management, I always start with, what's your vision? And there's lots of different definitions and lots of different iterations of what a vision means to a business. And in my iteration, a vision is not a financial goal. That's not a vision. That's a financial goal. 
A vision is, in Cameron Harold's words from the book Vivid Vision, which is one of my favorites, is a vision should be a three-dimensional world of where you see yourself at a set point in the future. What we do, and like I got this from Cameron, so this is not my my own material, is we create our 3D world based on a three-year timeline. So one year is not not long enough. That's more of a goal. Five years is too far down the road. Three years is really great because it's long enough for you to make changes and and soon enough for you to actually see the result. So we first start with making sure that you've got a really clear 3D vision of all the areas of your business. So you build out that 3D world of what sales is going to look like in three years, what marketing is going to look like in three years, what leadership is going to look like, what what your culture is going to look like, what the organization is going to look like, how you're going to give back, what your clients are saying. So it, it takes a creates a holistic view of your business. Without that, your team can't see how they fit into where you're taking where you're taking them. So what happens is everything becomes reactionary. Nothing is built, nothing is reverse engineered from something that's meaningful to them. They're just showing up, checking box, checking a, you know, checking a box, crossing something off of a list, and then going home at the end of the day. And when that happens, your turnover's high, your engagement's low, and growth is generally much smaller. Where if you can share that 3D vision with your team, they can see how they fit into that. They can see that they have they have control of helping you get there. You can let them help you get there. Um, and motivation goes way up because everyone wants to be motivated by an exciting vision and they want to see how they can contribute and play part of that. So that's step number one. Without that, I really think that businesses are walking around just kind of waiting to to have something nick their Achilles heel. And if you read any books, I mean, No Rules, Rules, Vivid Vision, any of the, the large companies that can innovate quickly have very clear visions of where they're going. I mean, I could talk about this the whole time. So I'm going to move on to, you know, what we do next. And the next thing we do is, is really help you install systems and structures that fit who you are as a, as a business owner. So I think there's a big misconception that just because you you are the founder of the business, that you are the leader of the business. And I think that that's harmful in a lot of ways. There's a high percentage of people that start a business that actually don't want to be the leader of their business. They're just in love with doing the thing. They want to be the spokesperson. They're the visionary. They've consistently been told that they're a bad leader because they have issues with team. They have issues with communication. They they get frustrated because no one seems to understand what they're what they want or what they're talking about. Um, they're impatient with systems and structures, and it's because it's not within their personality to be that type of a leader. So, you know, case in point, in my situation, I, I'm partners with David Nagel. He's very clear that he doesn't want to be a leader and has been for a long time. So he's brought me in to be the leader. And my job is to take his vision and also my vision and create synergy around that and then and then manage a team to implement it. Um, so really it's about understanding what type of a leader you are and what kind of support you need in order to lead your company in the best way possible, whether that's you or someone else. And it's interesting how many business owners feel a deep amount of shame and guilt because they don't want to be the leader. And it really is completely unnecessary and just just misinformed. It's perfectly fine for you to be the owner of a business and not be the leader. How does this, so I'm thinking about how this translates into my family, because I think families are kind of like teams, you know? Totally. 
And totally. I'm thinking about how do I take where I'm going and what my family, where Sean and I, the vision that we have for our family and how do you vision cast with your kids? So your kids understand how all of that plays into how, how they become motivated because we're all going there together. And for me, when I, if my kids are aligned with what we're wanting to do, then it makes one of my core values, which is future generations, all of it just starts to really click. And I, as you're describing it, I'm thinking, yeah, I've talked to my team about this, but I've never sat down and talked to my nine-year-olds about it. So it's the same process. So you sit down, you and Sean, so you don't do this with the kids at first. You do this just you and Sean. You sit down and you create a vision for your family and you incorporate what your core values are, what you want the culture to be, um, what experiences you want to have. And you forecast. So you, you create it as if it's present day. What's today? If you were to do it today, you would create it as if it was present day, January 12th, 2025. And you're in your life and you're looking around. And so you're saying, this is what my environment's going to look like. This is what our experience is going to look like. This is what our relationship with money is going to look like. This is what our marriage is going to look like. This is what our relationship with our kids is going to look like. And you forecast out as if it was already happening three years. And then you, you share I mean, you could go really, and you could go like, what is my sex life going to look like? There are certain things you're going to share with your kids and certain things you're not going to share with your kids. But the idea is to share that with, with the kids and then lead them through their own creation of what they see their life like in three years. And it's interesting because we did this. So we, David and I did this, this vision activity quite a long time ago. And just at our last team retreat, I took our entire team through their own personal vision because I'm a firm believer that I got to support my team both on the professional level and the personal level. And we're for growth. And if we're in alignment, then that means we're for all of our team members growing as well. Of course. So I, I took them through this exercise and I, my daughter was there. So my 19 year old was there and she did the exercise and it was hugely impactful for her. You know, she's a sophomore in college She's feeling like, I don't like, um, I know that I'm go. I got two more years of college, but after that, I really haven't thought about, you know, anything. And so it's, it like, she came up to me and said, wow, I never like, that was so impactful. I've not done it with little ones, like kids your age, but I think it would be so fun to take them through it, right. Well, to have them yeah, see well, themselves in three years, you know, one of my girls really wants to be Olympian, um, doing gymnastics and she auditioned for team. She just started and team auditions came up. So it was not expected and she didn't make team, but now her goal is in April to make team. So it's one of those, like I watched the Will Smith of the Serena Williams, Venus Williams. Oh, um, King Richard. Yes. I watched that and was so fascinated by the idea of he made a business plan for these girls while they were in utero and it came true because he just stayed so dedicated to following the business plan for their life. And I have not sat down and really thought about how do I vision cast with my kids other than, you know, we've made a, like a storyboard and, uh, what's it called? A vision board made a vision yeah. board, but I was telling one of my nine-year-olds the other night, I was like, you know, we need to get you a new vision board. You've done everything on your vision board. So it's time for us to do this again but against the backdrop of this is what your dad and I want to do with our lives and what we see 
for us in the next three years. And this is what we see as a family. We just started homeschooling. Thank you for the suggestion. Uh, we hired a teacher as you recommended, um, that you had had personal experience with, and, uh, we hired her and, um, she brought uh, think and grow rich to her job interview. So we knew that we were probably on the right track. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. And, um, they started three of them started homeschooling this week. So it's been, you know, everything is always wonderful in the initial stages, but the first four days have been awesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. This there'll will, be bumps. I mean, there'll be bumps in the road, yeah. but that's fine. If they understand this is where your dad and I, this is what we want to do. And this is what we want our life to look like. Then when we make transitions to homeschool so that we can be more mobile and less tied to a school calendar, it, it helps them understand things so much more rather than as a little kid, you feel like you're just, you know, you're told when you can eat, you're told when you go to bed and now you're, you know, dictated everything and they can start making a, a choice in that. Yeah. I think the, the most powerful piece of this, the, the creating the vision is that you weigh your decisions against it, right? So it gives you kind of this North star effect where if something comes into your life and everyone, I mean, everyone has opportunities coming at them all the time. And it's always hard to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. But if you can look at this and say, is this bringing me closer to my vision? It makes it a lot easier to say yes and a lot easier to say no. And it also allows you to reverse engineer from your vision. So if she has big goals of being, you know, being an Olympic gymnast and she sees herself three years down the road, what needs to happen in the next three years for her to be on track to actually achieve that goal? So you can look at it from a real practical, practical, pragmatic way to almost like train, like train tracks, leading the train to the destination. Right. And that's such a good thing for her to learn when she's nine versus when you're 37. Don't you wish you would have learned that when you were nine? I really wish I had. (laughs) I really wish I had. When did you decide that you were going to go from being the person behind the scenes, orchestrating everything to being more front and center? And what was that transition like for you? Or has it always been there all along? So it's interesting because I started, I started my like career being in front, right? So I was a teacher. I was in front of the class, right? I had my own business. It was my own business. I did all my own speaking. Um, I was a hustler. uh, And then I transitioned to working for someone. Granted, it's I have my own business. I was a contractor, but I was working for someone and became very comfortable and feeling very safe behind the scenes. And in recent, it was a com- a combination of a lot of things. So one, having David be just the face of the company puts the company in a much more vulnerable position should something happen to him, right? So we do we have processes and procedures that could be done without David, but nobody knows that because he was the the face of the company, right? And what was happening is more and more people are reaching out to me for specific coaching. He's the visionary. He's the the mindset coach, the success coach. He can get into your subconscious mind and within minutes, let you know what's going on with your decision-making and how you're feeling. I'm the nuts and bolts. I'm the how-to behind the scenes. I'm the, the org chart. I'm the like, okay, so now you understand you have these subconscious issues. Let's put together a plan that helps you get to your goal. And I'm the plan that helps you get to the goal girl. So it it became like this really synergistic thing when we would work with clients together where he would provide like really great mindset and I would come in with the how, coughing attack coming. I started speaking more. I started working with our clients more. 
And the demand kind of just went up. So it was like, okay, well, let's listen to this. A, it provides more long-term security for the company in case something does happen to David. So it gave it gave the company more stability because you've got two people that are that are teaching and the value is equally there. It provided a greater service for our clients because before that we were strictly mindset and we would give business advice a little bit, but not like the advice that we give right now in terms of the programs that we provide. And it, it was also kind of our next evolution of growth, right? I mean, it is it's my personal evolution to I'm a teacher. It's what I am. I know that. I've known that all of my life. I've taught many different things. I have the I've been blessed with the ability to teach entrepreneurs how to build their business and how to build their people, how to grow their people. And I think it's like it's my purpose. So that allowed me to step more and more into that to provide a greater service for our clients and also to really step into being a better version of myself as well. What are some of the mindset things that you have had to overcome? Because I talk to you, I call you for advice. (laughs) So it's one of those things where I know that everyone has had to, you don't just wake up, you're just not born um, with strong muscles. So I know you've had to strengthen muscles too. What are some that you've strengthened or maybe even that you still the weight room lifting weights with? There are a lot. My biggest, I think one of my biggest mindset issues when I first started this is a very, very strong need to be liked because being liked equals safety for me. Um, I had a really tumultuous childhood. Um, my dad, uh, was an alcoholic. He's recovered now and have a great relationship with him, but as a child, it was not fun. Um, I had a very codependent relationship with my mom where I felt like I was responsible for her rather than the other way around. So I didn't really have a strong sense of myself, even though I, I was a quick action taker. So my goal in life was to make everybody else happy so that I could feel safe. Well, if you go into business for yourself, you know that you can do that. You'll completely self-destruct. So, and good luck having productive sales conversations if you have a strong need to be liked, right? Because you'll avoid them at all costs because of fear of rejection. Um, And I started out working with David in sales. So one of my first, one of my biggest first like hurdles was really getting over myself. So realizing that what someone thought about me or felt about me actually had nothing to do with me. And I wasn't responsible for how they felt and what they thought. So my big life's lesson is making sure I've got appropriate boundaries in my life. Um, Boundaries around how I think, boundaries around how I deal with people and how I allow them to deal with me, because that's not something that I had as a child. And it's something that's absolutely necessary as a business owner. Um, Because if you're trying to, if you're trying to be liked, what happens is you end up self-sacrificing and the end result of self-sacrificing is you'll end up making yourself sick. Like you'll literally create chronic health conditions. Um, So that was huge for me is like, I care very little about whether I'm liked or not. I'm, I'm very secure in, in who I am. Obviously there's always, and will always be room for growth there. But that was, that was the big one for me is, is the very strong need to be liked. Like I did not feel safe if someone didn't like me. 
that has to be true for so many women. I'm sure for men too, I've just never had that experience, but talking to other women, I know that has to be something that, and it's not necessarily because they grew up in a, not everyone grew up in a tumultuous background and they still struggle with the need to be liked. It's for different reasons, but in some way it's, I think it's gotta be tied to the societal expectation of women, of girls. Um, but, and we see it with calling girls bossy or boys leaders, or, you know, we have, it's just that you see some of it still showing up less and less. I feel like now that we're talking about it more and more, but when, when do, when do you see, what is a red flag for people where if it's like, if X, then I know my need to be liked is being triggered. Oh, if you underprice. If you discount people, if you work for free, um, if you're not willing to have difficult conversations with underperforming team, if you are placating, so instead of having a conversation with someone, you placate them, you're actually manipulating the situation so that you come out on top as being liked. It's interesting because we I just did a we just did a private client meeting and and the underlying issue was need to be liked in order to feel safe and all of these things were present. Saying yes to too many things, like just feeling like you're being pulled in too many different directions, sacrificing yourself and what you need for someone else, changing your plans at the last minute for someone else, not clearly stating what it is that you want or what you need. I mean, the list can go on. It goes on. So once you identify the problem, and this may be something that you've done to grow very secure in yourself, that's something I really admire about you is a level of confidence without it being like your confidence doesn't impact me in a ego way. Like it's not bleeding over into me to where I feel small around you. I just feel like if I'm going to ask Steph a question, she'll give me a confident answer. Um, whether I like what she has to say or not, it's going to come, you know what I mean? And I love that. I love that and really admire that. And there are very few people who I know who have that I guess that self-confidence is what it comes down to. When you realize this was an issue for you, what's the work you did to identify and, and perhaps not overcome, but get to get to the place you are now? I did lots of personal development. Like I did lots of personal work on myself. Um, I had to set some really clear boundaries with most of my family um, because I didn't have any. Um, and I always led with the question, am I doing this for me or am I doing this to get something from someone else? Right. So am I doing this because I really want to do this because it's taking me closer to my goal because I feel excited about it? Or am I doing this because I want someone to like me or I want to feel special or I want approval or I want validation. And that question creates a massive wake up call. If you'll be honest with yourself about it. And I found that about 50 to 60% of the things that I was agreeing to do, I was doing for the wrong reasons. I was doing to feed some unmet need within myself um, rather than what I actually really wanted to be doing and to do for myself. And then what happened is I gradually began to stand in my power and it was incredibly uncomfortable, right? Because you're breaking paradigms in your subconscious mind. 
those emotions are based on your past paradigms. So whenever you're making changes like that and you're standing up for yourself and you're pushing against those paradigms, it feels terrifying. Like it feels sometimes like you're going to die if you stand up to someone and say, you know, no, I don't really want to help you move. Right? Like, no, I don't really want to go to go out to dinner tonight. No, I really don't want to, you know, create this thing for you. No, I really don't want to jump on a free coaching call with you. Right? So it it feels like it, it feels very, very scary. But the more that you do it and the more you step into it, the more strong you get. It's almost just like, you know, you don't go into a gym and immediately start, you know, bench pressing 300 pounds, right? You start with what you can the bar. do. You start with the bar. <laughs> yes. If you can, you start with the bar and then you gradually, you gradually build strength into, into lifting that 300 pounds. And I really think that's what happened. Um, with me, I also surrounded myself with people that honored my boundaries. So I, I really eliminated a lot of people in my life that were representations of, of the old me. Something kind of silly that I did is all growing up, my mom called me Stephanie. Like everyone called me Stephanie. She, she didn't want people to call me Steph. And so I identify with Stephanie differently than I identify with Steph. So I even would wear a Steph necklace. And when I felt myself going back into my old self, I would reach up and I would just like rub my Steph necklace to remind myself of who I was. But I didn't need to step back into the past and be that person before. That was just, that was always quiet. That was always passive that, you know, wouldn't stand up for myself. So there's a number of things that I implemented. Um, but Hillary, the big one was that question, like, what's my motivation for doing this? Am I really doing this because I want to, or is this to meet some dysfunctional need that I'm not meeting myself? When you see people make these really big quantum leaps and you see it all the time with, with the work that you're doing with people, I've experienced it myself. What is the most gratifying part of that? Because there's a lot of, for me, I help people get their green card That's or, or some form of immigration relief. And that moment is so small. You know, you have this crying, you have this hug and you know that they're going to go out and do great things. And they walk out the door and we all kind of look around and we almost chuckle like, okay, back to work. We're like the elves mm -hmm. in Santa's workshop. I don't know if it's the same on your end. I've not really been in any other industry, but of course there's great things where we get to continue to have a relationship and be on podcasts with each other and stuff like that. But what is the most gratifying? Because that's the thing that I'm guessing just keeps getting you out of bed and keeps building these programs and keeps building into humans. And humans are so hard to work with. So there has to be something really good in there that's driving you. So I think this has always been true for me. I live for the light bulb moments for other people. Like I live to see that one awareness kick in where they're like, oh, I see it now. Like I, I it's not like never do I take six, do I take credit for someone else's success? There's no way, right? Like you are responsible for your own success. You're the person that's taking the action steps. I'm just there to be your biggest cheerleader and to, to help you uncover the answers that are already within you. So for me, it's those light bulb moments. It's that those moments when someone says, so that's why I decided to do what I did five years ago. Oh, and then I just get goosebumps all over. Like I love helping people connect the dots so that they can make a new choice and I know that by them making that new choice, it's going to trickle down to everybody else that they touch. 
So it's like, it's, it's, I dig the ripple effect. Right. And I love helping the good guys win. Like it's so fun for me. There's a lot of people who have a hard time rooting for other people, especially, I hate to say this, especially women. Like you see a lot of women tearing other women down. Right. I am the biggest cheerleader. I want everyone to win because I don't see that when someone else wins, it takes anything away from anyone else. It just adds to everything. And I'm a firm believer in more life. Right. So that's what, that's it for me. Like whether it's a light bulb moment from one of my team members of becoming aware of something that they're doing, that's, you know, impeding their ability to be their best, whether it's a light bulb moment that I create with a piece of training or an activity, whether it's a light bulb moment that we see in a live workshop or a light bulb moment that happens on a podcast interview, I live for those light bulb moments. That's where I feel like I give back the most. Um, and it's the most fun for me. Something you and I've talked about separately is how to not coach your spouse, like your spouse, you're not, you're not coaching. You're not, you're not mindset, whatevering your spouse. How do you talk to a spouse in a way that challenges them? Assuming they've consented, of course, I think that that's probably an important <laughs> part where it's like, by the way, by the way, don't do what I did, you know? Yeah. And just start in on someone, but how does that go where the two of you are a team or your partner, you don't have to be in like some legal relationship, but your partner, you can be even a business partner, um, be close friends who are really wanting to, you know, grow. And, you know, we're, we're having this conversation and it's important for us to both be aligned. How do you have these frank conversations or I don't even know. I think I'm probably calling them the wrong thing. And therein lies the problem. But how do you have these conversations? What does that look like? So I think the first part is this, if in terms of a spouse, right? So my spouse's name is Brandon. He, we've been working together for what feels like an eternity. So, and with that comes a lot of challenges. And what I've learned from that is it's really important to establish what role you're going to be in when you're having the conversation. So if he comes to me with a problem, the first thing I say to him is, what role do you want me to be in? Do you want me to be, do you want me to be the listener? Do you need me to just listen to you? Do you want suggestions? Do you want me to feedback what you're, what you're saying? So first it's an agreement in those types of situations, right? Because that's generally where the coaching starts. Your, your, your spouse starts griping about something and you go into trying to coach them through how to make it better or, or whatever. Or fix it really, or fix it for them. Really, when they just need to, they just need to be able to hear themselves say things so that it helps them clear their head and then make a decision. So that's step number one: define the role, especially if you're in business together, right? Like he'll say to me, or or he'll say to me, "I need you to be my wife, not the CEO." Like this is a this is a wife conversation, or this is a mother conversation. This is not a CEO conversation. Or he'll say, or I'll say to him, "I need to be able to just talk about this." And you just listen and not feel the need to, to fix anything. So we're all clear on the agreement of the conversation to start with, right? So it's one way to head that off at the pass is like, tell me what you need from me in this moment, which is just good, good communication, right? In terms of coaching, I think that it's a very slippery slope with a spouse to coach them. My way of coaching my spouse is to say, you might want to, you might want to talk to a therapist about that, or you might want to ask so-and-so what they did about that, or you might want to check out this book <laughs> and provide them with a resource, but not actually go into, into coaching. Yeah. I think that setting up what we, when I brought this up to you some time ago, it was setting up the conversation properly because 
And that goes both ways. Like Sean is very much a problem solver and he hates to see me in distress or having a hard time. And so he wants to go right into what about, what if we tried this? And what if, what if we tried this? And then I feel like, are you even hearing what I'm saying? I don't need you to solve my problems. Um, I just need, you know, so I really think that setting it up is such a good way to communicate. And we have had a wonderful experience working with Abby, who you recommended, and she was a guest on the podcast as well. So thank you for connecting us with her. She really is lovely. She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of being a good cheerleader for women, she is as well. Yes. When, when you're in your free time, what do you do to relax, unplug? What is your way to, to reconnect with you? For me, it's being outside. So we're, we're, we are early empty nesters. Both of our kids are out of the house now. My youngest is uh, a sophomore in college. So this is, this has been interesting for us. My mode of reconnecting with myself is being outside. And we're, I'm doing that more and more because my husband and I purchased an Airstream camper and it it combines our two great loves, which is traveling experience and being outside. So what we do is in the summer, especially we're gone almost every weekend. We'll take a long cross country trip and I'll work virtually for several weeks. So I have no problem being away from the office for several weeks in the summertime. Um, But for me, it's being outdoors. If I can put myself in something that's beautiful or even the smallest like bright red leaf <laughs> it it re it like fills my it like just fills up my batteries so a walk outside a drive uh, a trip somewhere anywhere being out in nature helps me reconnect with with myself and just grounds me and gets me out of my head because I'm in my head a lot I can relate I cannot relate though to wanting to be in an airstream, but that's because yes. I have four kids who yes. don't regularly flush the toilet without being told to. So this is not the season for that for me. No, it's just me and Brandon and our dog, Jack, and it's heaven. And it's heaven. Steph, thank you so much for joining me today. You are just such a gift in my life. And so I'm grateful that we've gotten to share this short time with you, with people who are listening. Thank you for having me. This has been great. If you would like to get a free leadership assessment from Steph over at Life Is Now, Inc., my recommendation is click the link in the show notes to figure out your visionary leader style and receive a diagnostic report of how to become a stronger, more effective leader for your business team and vision. And hey, this even applies as Steph talked about in parenting and co-parenting um, with your family. So this is something that no matter what your role is, I think you should check out this free leadership assessment. It's in the show notes. There's a link there. Life is now dot involvement dot me slash visionary leader. Check it out. It's free and I hope that you enjoy it. Thanks again, Steph and friends. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and I'll see you next week on the Hillary show.